Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, it's a uh, great time of the year. This is probably my favorite month from a weather standpoint. We're in the you know, 70s to 80s during the day and, uh, you know, 40s and 50s at night. So um, AC doesn't run at all. Yeah, it is incredible, though. I mean, you'll go out in the morning with a jacket and yeah. you know, you'll be a little cold and then you'll be in shorts and a short sleeve when you come right. home. And it's, uh, it's yeah. a drastic change, but it is yeah. just gorgeous. Love, love gorgeous. this time of the year. And, and uh, you pointed out earlier, we were just talking about sports a little bit. I guess October is probably the only month that all the sports are going on. So obviously you got football, soccer, uh, soccer, baseball, hockey. I think is going hockey on. Hockey and basketball Back just started. It's, so it's yeah for the sports enthusiast. It's uh, it's uh, it's big. So um, but hey, we have a good, really good show lined up today. We're excited about these topics. These are uh, really two things that we have never talked about before. And um, the first one is really looking at Ponzi and pyramid schemes. And you hear about those um, occasionally. Um, obviously, the the biggest one of all time was Bernie Madoff um, back in 2008. And uh, so we're just going to go through the differences between a Ponzi scheme and a pyramid scheme, and also some some do's and don'ts, some warning signs that you want to make sure that you understand uh, in this area because there's there's a lot of crime even today. I mean, we unfortunately had one uh, quite a few years ago in Aiken as well that um, got a lot of people. Um, unfortunately. So, uh, but that's a great topic. And then we're also going to talk about ABLE accounts. We've never talked about that before. Yeah. And this article's um, from the special needs Alliance, uh, org. It's a, it's a website, but it's, it, it goes through the comparison and contrast between um, special needs trust and ABLE accounts. So if you know someone with a, a special needs child or you have one, this is a really good information. We would actually recommend you go into this website and looking into it further, but really good article. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, by the way, I'm John Travis. Uh, I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a uh, certified Dave Ramsey coach, and I have uh, over 29 years of experience in planning for both corporations and individuals. And my name is Matthew Travis. I'm also a financial planner here at the firm. Yeah, and uh, certainly glad to have you here today, Matthew. And uh, we're happy to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Uh, we put the podcast up every Friday morning, and uh, you can go to our website, moneymd.net, uh, or obviously iTunes, and, and download it and listen uh, anytime that you want uh, at your own convenience. Also, check out our website. If you've never been out there, we've got some good tools out there. We've got some other videos, um, but we also have a, a planning calculator, some college information, and all the podcasts are uh, hosted out there as well. So, And we have a Facebook page, uh, MoneyMD. We put a prescription of the week out there every single week. So glad to have you here today. We're going to start off with the financial fact of the week. And Matthew, those that uh, get Social Security have some good news. We've seen inflation increasing a little bit this year, uh, certainly compared to last year. And so on October the 13th, the Social Security Administration announced that the annual cost of living adjustment, also known as COLA, uh, will be 5.9%. So that's a boost of about $92 per month for an individual. So that's that's pretty significant. It's been a lot lower than that. 
uh, gosh, a couple years ago, it was zero, um, no, no change at all. So, you know, if you're getting a hundred bucks more per month, I mean, that's going to help with grocery costs and going out to eat and gas and so forth. Cause we, we definitely see inflation uh, increasing a little bit. Yeah. And, and I wonder when the last time it was that high, that, that mm. cost of living adjustment, I mean, that is, that is pretty substantial. Yeah. It's been, been a while. I, gosh, I want to say for some reason, 2009 and 10, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a nice, nice bump. And I know a lot of folks are, are happy about mm-hmm. getting, finally getting, uh, recognizing that there is some inflation out right. there. Right. That's right. All right, so we're going to start off with our, our first article uh, this week, uh, Ponzi and Pyramid Schemes. This is an article out of AARP, and and uh, Matthew, um, you know, these schemes are, are, are different types, um, but they're both large-scale investment frauds, and they're linked by a common characteristic. And in, in both situations, crooks basically are promising participants huge profits um, from a supposed can't-miss investment or business opportunity, and um, they sustain the illusion by luring more and more people into the um, into the scheme. And mm-hmm. older Americans are, are among the most alluring targets. Um, and the U.S. Uh, Securities and Exchange Commission uh, investigates these, and they've spent years amassing, um, you know, this information. And and uh, they they actually there's an interesting show. It's called American Greed, and and I watch it pretty frequently because it it has. Uh, these Ponzi and pyramid schemes, and it mm-hmm. goes into detail and in interviews of people that were involved in it. And there is a common theme on it. They, they you know, the the guaranteed. If you hear uh, yeah. guaranteed twelve percent or Run. or nine percent, yeah, it's just not it's not feasible in the marketplace. So we'll get to the warning signs here in a couple minutes. But I'll let you go into more detail on the Ponzi side. Yeah. So the Ponzi schemes they get their name from um, a 1920s swindler, Charles Ponzi. Uh, there's other people that have done this, obviously, but. Um, you know, that, that name, Charles Ponzi, is where this comes from. The basic premise really hasn't changed in more than a century. Uh, you know, a, a crooked broker uh, may tout a, a surefire investment at 12% that you just mentioned, guaranteeing lavish returns. The pitch may include secretive strategies or, uh, you know, increasingly uh, different products. I mean, yeah. currently we've seen this in even in cryptocurrencies. People have been trying to to do this. And while it may look legit, the account balance on your statement, uh, it may keep rising. Uh, you know, you may even be able to withdraw some cash, but in reality, the crook is just pocketing most of the money, issuing phony paperwork and covering up any, uh, sort of understanding around these, these accounts. Yeah. One of those American greed sessions was actually on Bernie Madoff and, and, uh, it was probably a two, two week session and it was fascinating. I mean, one of the, the signals or the signs of uh, a Ponzi scheme is, um, like you said, um, issuing phony paperwork. So, you know, in our situation with our clients, we use TD Ameritrade as Mm -hmm. a custodian. And so you have to have a third party, involved in it. Um, Bernie Madoff was issuing his own statements oh, okay. to the individuals and he could put anything on there he wanted to and uh, it was not not correct. And mm-hmm. obviously that happened back in 2008. Um, Bernie Madoff collected an estimated 17 billion, it's with a B, from nearly 5,000 investors and nearly 3 billion of that was never recovered. And so the people that were investing with him were, were famous people. There were, um, you know, churches and, and colleges and so forth. And, uh, just, uh, for, you know, being in the financial industry, I just don't know how he got away with it for so long. Um, he was audited, um, and, uh, he was just a, a way to, he, he didn't have a third party involved in it. That's yeah, that was the, the key. Yeah. yeah. So Ponzi scheme um, has been around a long time since 1920s. And then there's also something called a pyramid scheme, 
It also promises easy riches via investment opportunities or marketing of consumer goods and services. The crooks at the top of the pyramid reach out to would-be entrepreneurs, often via social media, uh, sometimes YouTube and, and online ads and, and also financial presentations. So for an upfront fee, these lucky investors can join this team in selling this or that uh, great product that's uh, you know, a sure, surefire you know, home run. Yeah, and and there is a big difference though between you know Ponzi scheme and pyramid scheme. Um, you know the Ponzi scheme, I don't want to say in general it's illegal. It's illegal. It is going to be an illegal practice. Yeah, that is yeah. they're not returning on what they promised. A pyramid scheme. There's some probably very familiar, and we won't name any pyramid schemes that you've heard of, and they can do well. It just there is more of a marketing, multi-level marketing. Uh, the key difference is that while a legitimate multi-level marketing focuses on bringing in people to sell the product, pyramid promoters emphasize the recruitment itself. So one hallmark of a pyramid scheme is that its leaders describe what is supposed to be the actual business, common, um, you know, including ebooks, online advertising, and unspecified tech services in vague, fancy-sounding terms to conceal that the company doesn't really sell anything at all. Another is that the Ponzi. Um, another is that, like the Ponzi schemes, they eventually collapse, leaving investors holding the bag. So there's a slight difference just involving more people into this process to have these people sell products underneath kind of that main leader, if you will. Yeah, and they they both Ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes both uh, you know talk about um, you know huge profits and huge returns and easy. Y- yeah, ease. And that's yeah, and that's the you know the trigger. I mean, in in the financial world. There's risk and return. The more risk you take, the more re- return you're going to have. But there's nothing that's guaranteed that's in, in the double digits, certainly. So one more similarity is both scams often take the form of affinity fraud. And so the backed ac- bad actors pose as members of a closely knit group, um, for example, a religious congregation, uh, maybe an ethnic community or a social organization. And they integrate themselves with respected members of the group and they exploit those relationships to convince others um, that a sham money-making strategy is legitimate, perhaps dressing it up as an investment club or a gift program. So, uh, you know, they're very convincing. They're, they're respected typically. I mean, Bernie Madoff, um, I mean, people were seeking him out to invest with him, um, and he had to turn people away because he, he wanted to keep it exclusive um, and selective. So you just got to be careful. But there are some warning signs, right? Yeah, and so for both of these, um, <clears throat> the warning signs, and then we'll jump to just a quick uh, couple of do's and don'ts. But the warning signs, you know, if an investment broker or financial advisor guarantees guarantees an abnormally high rate of return on your investment, be on the lookout. A promoter or marketer promises easy money for selling a product or service. And then another one is a supposed marketing business or investment opportunity is predicated on you recruiting others into the program and collecting commissions on them. These are just general red flags that should just make you say, hmm, let me ask another question. Let me maybe ask a friend, hey, does this make sense? What do you think about this, about me joining this? Yeah. So here's some things to do if you run across this situation is um, do check out a broker or advisor's background before investing. I mean, you can go to the SEC Action Lookup um, or the Broker Check. It's a database that's maintained by the um, Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and it has information on employment history, licensing status, complaints, cases against the broker or the firm. 
So it's just a place that if they've been in trouble in the past, it's going to show up on the, the SEC database or also FINRA is, is mm-hmm. the other entity that's out there. And, and do be wary of ploys to get you in the door, such as offering a free meal or attending an investment seminar. That's fine to do that. Uh, you know, there, there are folks that do that that are legit out in the marketplace. But, but don't, don't feel, you know, pressure, and I'm kind of getting into the next point, yeah. but it's okay to go to those, but um, you don't have to make a decision that night. It's not like, you, you know, it's, you have to do it in, in one sitting. You should think about it. Yeah, and that's this last one is just to make sure, you know, if you hear it, oh, you know, if you, don't, you have to act now or you're going to miss it. Uh, that's often not the case, and it's a sales tactic. So um, definitely sleep on it. Definitely think about it. You, you should not be pressured into anything that you're doing in this regard. Yeah, as Dave Ramsey talks about, you got to understand what you're what you're getting into. Ask questions. No investment is risk free, and there's no such thing as a guaranteed return. So, um, th- you know, don't agree to invest based solely on uh, another investor's recommendations. No matter how trustworthy that person seems, they have, may have been misled as well. And and don't invest in complex money making strategies that you don't understand. I mean, ask a bunch of questions. Go do some research uh, out there. And I think that's really important. Maybe bring in you know, a, a trusted advisor or a, a lawyer or a CPA to bounce some of these ideas off of. Yeah. And also don't, don't invest with an advisor or firm that isn't registered with the SEC or state regulators. When a company is registered, you can access that information like we talked about online. Also, don't trust a marketing or business opportunity in which your earnings are based mostly or, or entirely on recruiting others where there is no product that you're selling. It's based on getting more people into that pyramid structure. And then lastly, don't join a company that requires you to keep paying for new inventory of products just to remain active or to qualify for bonuses or rewards. So these are just a couple. I mean, I know we threw, threw a lot at you, uh, but these are just, you know, just some things to be on the lookout for in the marketplace. I would say a big takeaway is is take these ideas and opportunities to to a trusted professional, really, uh, you know, another advisor or a CPA or a lawyer and, and get their take on it. Um, and, uh, just, just tread slowly is, is the kind of the takeaway on this. So great, uh, great discussion there. Matthew, we're going to, um, switch over to the, the question of the week. Yeah. And this is a, this is an actual question from a client. Uh, most of them are, uh, this question says, should I keep single company stock that I purchased at a reduced rate in my company plan? And I think this person had an ESPP also ESOPs. Um, there's just a lot of different company plans, profit sharing plans where you can purchase company stock at a reduced rate in your plan. And the question is, should you keep that single stock for your retirement plan? And so the general premise is, yes, it's at a discount. And that is a can be a good thing to take advantage of. But leaving a single stock in your retirement portfolio can be very risky mm-hmm. and can turn out well, but it can also not. Yeah, we, we generally, I mean, if you've been listening to us for a while, we're, we're believers in mutual funds and diversifying. So when someone has an opportunity like this, not every company offers this employee stock purchase plan, 15% uh, you know, discount, and sometimes it'll be at the lowest price during that quarter. So you know, you can put one or two or three percent in there, and, and but we basically view that as not retirement related, and it can be used to pull out and and use for other things. So I certainly wouldn't make that the base of my retirement plan. 
you know, we've seen it work out in the past, but like you said, individual stocks, um, it's, it's just risky. risky. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so generally I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a lot into these, uh, these, uh, single stock plans. So, and you can use that to fund, um, vacations. It can yeah. be used to fund to pay off debt, just a number of things in current life that it can be a good, it can be a good thing, but again, not keeping it for retirement. That's right. And there are some, some tax consequences as one of the things we've had right. to spend a lot of time right. on is making sure when you pull this out, you know, what's going to yeah, happen. That's yeah. right. So, um, well, very good, very good question of the week. And we're going to switch over to the uh, ABLE accounts and special needs trust, how to choose. Um, and Matthew, I, I personally, um, we have some really close friends that have a, an autistic son and, um, you know, we've, we've kind of done life with them now for, you know, 15 or 16 years and I've always been uh, just truly, a, I've had admiration for what, um, what they have done for their son and it's very difficult and they've done a phenomenal job. And so, you know, one of the aspects of that is, are these financial accounts? Yeah, that's good. Um, so the the ABLE account, we're going to compare ABLE and special needs trust, but the ABLE account is a relatively new planning tool that offers an individual with disabilities a tax-free savings option. So this is similar to a 529 college savings plan that does not interfere with that individual's eligibility for a means-tested government benefit such as supplemental security income and Medicaid. Special needs trusts are well-established savings tools that also protect eligibility for public programs. Um, since the regulations governing special needs trust and ABLE accounts are quite different, individuals with disabilities and their families should consider their specific circumstances uh, before establishing them and, and really just talk with someone who knows more about this. Yeah, and there's certainly lawyers in the area would be a really good resource right. um, to, to go to that, that specialize in special needs trust and also are familiar with the, the ABLE account as well. So the, the ABLE account limits eligibility to an individual whose disability onset occurred prior to the age of 26 and who satisfies the Social Security's criteria regarding significant functional limitations uh, stemming from a disabling condition. And um, special need trusts, uh, which are funded with assets belonging to the beneficiary, must be established before the individual meets the Social Security disability criteria um, before the age of 65. So there is no age limit for creating a third-party trust, but um, you know the ABLE account, um, you know you have some limitations. You have to have it set up before age 26. Yeah, there, there are no limits to how much a special needs trust um, may be funded with uh, there is for an ABLE account a 15,000, this is in 2021, 15,000 annual limit. And this is for the gift tax exclusion that, yeah, it's, that is common. Yeah. yeah. Um, any amount over 100,000, though, in this ABLE account, this is really important, does count towards the individual's $2,000 resource limit for SSI and Medicaid eligibility. So, you know, making sure that ABLE account doesn't go over that threshold is, is very important. Total lifetime contributions to an ABLE account are tied to each state's uh, provider um, for total contributions to the 529 plan. So it can be as high as 450,000. It's just a very high limit. But again, you know, trying to keep it under that 100,000 for the- uh, The balance. The balance so in the account. It Correct. can go in the account and it can then be pulled back out. But Correct. You can still contribute Correct. to it over time. Yeah, yeah. So that fifteen per year, that hundred thousand, just as the balance. That's right. So that's that's kind of the 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 threshold for the able account. Yeah, and each state basically um, handles the able account, kind of like the five twenty nine plan, and they designate investment options um, available to the account holders. The special needs trust investments are, are made at the sole discretion of the appointed trustee 
And that trustee has a fiduciary responsibility to act in the beneficiary's best interest. Um, so at their discretion, you know, they can pay for anything that benefits the beneficiary um, other than food and housing mm. without affecting the government benefits. And uh, if the beneficiary is a, a SSI recipient, food and housing expenditures are considered in-kind support and will reduce payments um, from that program. So when you look at an ABLE account, you know, you can pay for the beneficiary's qualified dis, uh, disability expense um, to maintain or improve their health, their independence, their quality of life. Um, this includes basic living expenses, education, housing, transportation, um, you know, supportive technology, mm-hmm. healthcare expenses, and so forth. Uh, the ability to pay for housing without affecting SSI is an attractive benefit yeah. of ABLE accounts. And if withdrawals are made for expenditures other than these qualified um, disability expenses, then the earnings portion of that withdrawal would be subject to regular income tax and a 10% penalty. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot of details, a lot of ins and outs here. But, you know, the ABLE program was actually um, started back in April of 2015, so it's relatively new mm. Uh, type type program and uh, but it, it, it is another option to the special needs trust yeah and you know again talking with someone talking with a lawyer even about the able account that's set up to the state they can give you um, more information but you know able accounts as far as the cost they're they're pretty nominal um, generally limited to maintenance and charges by financial institutions similar to a 529 plan again Attorney and trust fees um, are incurred while creating and maintaining the special needs trust. There are less expensive options. There's pooled special needs trusts that are administered by nonprofits. But um, the the big takeaway is there are varying costs depending on what you're getting. But there's different um, you know eligibility and there's different requirements and different tax savings with able versus special needs trust. Yeah, and a lot of people think one of the most beneficial provisions of the able account is that it grows income tax free, at least for federal income tax purposes. However, I mean, few individuals who receive public benefits actually pay any tax, uh, even the ability to avoid all the taxes on that hundred thousand dollar investment within an ABLE account is unlikely to improve the tax picture for a person who's already receiving SSI or Mm -hmm. Medicaid. Uh, Contributions to an ABLE account are not deductible under federal income tax rules, um, and a transfer to an ABLE account by a third party does qualify as a present uh, gift for purposes of the uh, the tax exclusion. The modest tax benefits associated with this ABLE account may may merit a professional review. I think, to me, the ABLE account is, is, is simpler, right? A special needs trust is a trust, and you have to go through a lawyer right, to set right. it up, and they're very good lawyers that do that, but the ABLE account is done through the state. It's a little bit simpler. Yeah, and, and but I will say one thing is the trust does have a it can have a controlled distribution, mm-hmm. which is a big reason to have a trust where the ABLE account is strictly just an account yeah. where you're able to save. So I guess, you know, you can have both of them too. Yeah. You can have both of those acting concurrently. Um, so when pondering the establishment of, of, you know, either or, or, and both of these accounts, um, the beneficiary or their representative should consult a special needs planning attorney, just because there are so many different options with these, uh, an ABLE account may not be ideal, uh, to manage um, third-party funds due to the likelihood of um, Medicaid payback and all these different regulations with the government regarding the amount of funds that um, people with special needs can have and still receive, um, you know, the the government assistance. So, again, if you need a recommendation for you know this type of lawyer, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to help. 
Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, if you look at an ABLE account, um, you know, if there has been a, a small inheritance um, that's um, left to uh, an individual, then you could put it into the ABLE account. And, and as discussed above, an ABLE account also is used to avoid the um, ISM reduction to a beneficiary's SSI payment if contributions are used to provide for, for housing expenses. expenses, And lastly, an ABLE account might be a, an excellent vehicle to hold a, a small litigation settlement or an unexpected windfall, um, such as, you know, a gift, again, from a, a relative. So a special needs attorney can discuss in detail these, these uh, two techniques uh, and help you, you know, craft and, and draft that special needs trust. And as you said, I mean, one of the differences is the, the, the fiduciary responsibility if you're put in charge of a special needs trust. I mean, there's certain rules and regulations associated with that. So great, uh, great discussion on this. Uh, this is the first time we've, I think, talked about this um, topic. And we do have clients and folks that come, come through that have these questions. So I think it was a, a, a useful, um, you know, it's good, it's good information. And, and if you need a, like Matthew said, if you need a recommendation on um, some additional resources, let us know. Yeah, that's right. All right. And we're going to switch gears here and close this out with the prescription of the week. All right. So this prescription is to consider reducing your retirement contributions for a season when you're saving for a big purchase or expense such as a wedding or a house. And this is to avoid going into debt. Now I will say, this is, uh, you may be surprised to hear that, or this may be different because we are about investments. We are about retirement. We are about saving for the future. But here we're saying, hey, there may be a season where you can pause that so that you can handle current expenses. Yeah, so Dave, Dave Ramsey um, has seven baby steps, mm-hmm. right? Um, baby step four is um, to save 15% in retirement. Right. And so once you have your emergency fund in place, which is baby step three, and all your other debts paid off other than your mortgage, which is baby step two, you know, most people go into the mode of saving for retirement, that right. 15%. And he has a um, baby step 3A, which right. is what you're referring right. to, is you basically pause your retirement savings for a period of time and save up for the wedding or save up for a down payment or, you know, whatever season you're in or whatever additional um you know, activity is going on, you can pause that for six months or nine months and not, you know, change the trajectory of your retirement um, significantly. It's just trying to stay out of debt. That's yeah, what it boils down to. And I'll give you two quick examples. One is um, if you're saving for a wedding, you know, if it's just making up a number, I've not been, not had a wedding myself. I've heard they're expensive. But if you have a $10,000 wedding, uh, instead of putting that on a credit card, building cash and paying for that yeah. is a great example. Another one is saving for a down payment. If you don't have 20% down, you're going to have PMI insurance, which is very expensive. Yeah. So saving for that small window can really set you up for the next you know, 15 to 30 years yep. in this house. So it is a small window, but can be very beneficial. And I do have some experience in saving for a wedding <laughs> because... It's my daughter, up. your sister, is getting married in uh, in March of next year, and um, so yeah, we we had to kind of focus on that, and and we basically provided a budget, and um, she's paying for some of it as well, and so she's then managing that that process. But I mean that that it was you know something that we were hoping would happen. But, you know, when it becomes official, you got to focus on what's happening, sure. whether it's a wedding or a house or maybe it's a, a, a baby. A health event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. Medical yeah, there's, so there's a lot of different reasons. So that's really good. Baby Step 3A 
is to pause their retirement contributions for a season, for a period of time to focus on that new um, priority. Yeah, that's what it boils right. down to. So very good. Good show. Uh, certainly enjoyed it. Glad you, that you're, uh, you know, been with us today and uh, certainly tune in next week uh, on moneymd.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health and check out our website, moneymd.net and send us your questions. We, uh, we, we read those on the air and discuss them uh, with you. We certainly never talk about names um, yeah. with the questions. Um, but these questions do come from uh, most of our client experiences. And you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and hope you have a great rest of the week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.